Hey everyone, welcome back to Real Talk NFT, where we talk all things Web3. Super excited today to have on Sam Barberry, who's the head of strategy and partnership over at Sequence, who's actually, um, the tech stack is fixing everything in Web3, but uh, it's not that simple. I'm gonna have you explain it. Welcome, Sam. Awesome, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, uh, first, uh, before we jump into the company, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this industry. Yeah, so I've been in gaming and interactive media uh, pretty much my whole career. Uh, started as part of the founding team of a company called Super Data Research, where we covered from a business intelligence and consumer insights perspective, uh, really everything in digital games, esports, gaming video content, VR, the whole space. Um, that company was acquired by Nielsen back in 2018. I stayed on Nielsen for a while. Uh, and then kind of fast forward through a couple other companies that I started and, and joined. Um, I came into the Web3 world at Animoca, uh, helping to run one of their subsidiaries uh, in digital collectibles, uh, working with a lot of licensed IP, uh, launched Jim Henson's first NFTs and, and a bunch of other cool projects. Um, and uh, then met the team at, at Sequence a number of months ago and just fell in love with them and, and how they think about the space and what they're doing. Um, and Web3 always felt very natural to me, I think particularly coming from gaming because mm. regardless of how people were using, you know, particularly NFTs, it was, oh, you want to sell digital assets to an interactive global digitally native audience, that's gaming, you know, whether it was a loyalty program or, you know, pure PFP project or whatever it is, there was something that gaming had already done and innovated on that was a natural fit for what Web3 was aiming to do. Yeah. We saw a big shift, maybe not a big shift, maybe it's always been there into gaming, Web3 gaming specifically this year, we see major publishers coming in like PUBG, Crafton, Zenga, I mean, just to name a few, right? There's probably many more that I didn't mention. Um, you mentioned it fits kind of cohesively Web3. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people listening know kind of what the inherent problems are or maybe what are the, the true uh, benefits that may emerge that are known to us. Can you talk, of, talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, so this is this is where there's kind of like constant tension in in the world of Web3 gaming because there are those that say, you know, hey, we already do have digital currencies. We already have digital collectibles. We already have a lot of this infrastructure. And they're not wrong, but there are a number of things about Web3 that uh, I think publishers are quickly realizing are a benefit not only to themselves as a business, but also to players who ultimately are the ones to reward publishers for, for what they do. Um, and so, you know, th there was a... a very real uh, case recently where Psyonix, who's owned by Epic uh, and makes Rocket League, uh, shut down secondary skin trading in the game. And everyone lost their minds, you know, and many of these gamers are the same people who, if you slap the phrase NFT on it, say, oh, this is, right. you know, horrible. We don't want it. So Psyonix gave different reasons for why they shut it down. I'm not sure I fully believe them. I think, you know, if you kind of look under the hood, because we have uh, similar similar sentiments from other developers, um, you know, there are things, especially with secondary 
markets that are challenging for developers in Web2. It's strenuous on servers, handling all those peer-to-peer transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are allowing payouts, then you have to deal with maybe money transmitter licenses and a number of other issues. And the blockchain negates a lot of those a lot of those issues because it's handling a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of the off-ramp and everything else. Now, the challenge in making that happen and bringing Web3 into a game has traditionally been uh, around a number of items, but one being onboarding. And I think, you know, we constantly have this, this uh, notion of, you know, how do we onboard the next players and so on. And that's where, from a, a tech perspective, I think, you know, if you look at the past couple of years, um, that was a challenge. And so a lot of the games that were hitting the market first kind of had to lean into the web freeness of what they were building because there was no way to escape it. You know, if someone has to have a MetaMask just to play your mm-hmm. game, um, then you might as well kind of be overly about the web three aspects of the title. But now, thanks to technology like we create, you can truly create a very web two look and feel game, uh, but everything's running on blockchain-based rails. And from there, the exciting thing for me is the only limitations are design and creativity, which is exactly what should happen in gaming. Nothing should ever be hamstrung by uh, payments or infrastructure or technology. It should only be by how good is a developer at creating a story and experience that that players want to play. And I think we're, we're at that point where it's shifting back, and that's where we see... Uh, Asian publishers, especially leaning into it with their cherished IP. They're like, you know what? We actually can build whatever we want now. Um, and therefore we feel comfortable about, you know, whether it's Maple Story or any of our other legendary IP and bringing that into a, a Web3 world. Nice. Tell us a little bit about Sequence. Um, just maybe a little bit behind the inspiration of the entire platform and how it's just going to make it easier to onboard people into Web3. Yeah, so uh, Sequence is built by Horizon, and Horizon uh, started by building a game called Skyweaver, uh, which is a, a pretty incredible collectible card game, uh, was named uh, Best Blockchain Game in 2022. And the team set out to just build a good game kind of before it was cool to do that. Um, and obviously, none of the technology that existed at the time actually let them do that in terms of building it the way they wanted and distributing it and onboarding players in in the way that uh, they would expect. And so out of creating that technology was born Sequence. And uh, Sequence is full stack end-to-end Web3 development platform, uh, not only for gaming, but for branded experiences, loyalty, fandom. Um, And the reason why we focus on it being full stack and end to end is because that's how the world's best experiences are built. You know, you don't build half a game on unity and half of it on unreal and just hope for the best. It literally will not work. And I think in web three, you know, part of the, um, issue I'll say with decentralization has been fragmentation. Mm -hmm. And so there's been this hodgepodge of infrastructure across wallets and, uh, indexers and nodes and um, marketplaces that have made it one just not easy for developers to even wrap their heads around and start building. Um, 
but often ends up making kind of these game-breaking tech dependencies where someone pushes code and one part of the stack doesn't work with another part of the stack or, you know, this wallet doesn't work with OpenSea or whatever it is. And that's just not what anyone expects, not just gamers, but anyone expects from kind of a seamless and, and holistic experience. And so by giving everyone the entire suite of tools that they need and the SDKs to bring it into Unity or Unreal or mobile, um, it just means that developers can, again, shift their per- their perspective back to the game that they want to create. You know, I, I do have a question. There's some wallets or similar products out there like Rainbow and Wagme, I believe, if I'm getting those correct. So what's the difference between what you're building at Sequence compared to like, I think Rainbow is probably the one I'm most familiar, familiar with. Yeah. So I think, you know, Rainbow, Wagme, I mean, there's a lot of cool technology out there. Um but it often comes with like a little bit of an asterisk or a little bit of a caveat. And that could be both in terms of what that technology actually lets you do. So for example, we, we uh, just launched a product recently called Sequence Kit, which looks and feels similar to like a Wallet Connect modal, like a Rainbow, for example. Um, but it has a number of key differences. So with a lot of these Wallet Connect modals, um, if you don't have a wallet, then the UI says, hey, don't have a wallet. And then it sends you out of the game, out of the experience, you know, over to the vanilla MetaMask site to create your wallet. So you haven't reduced the friction for anyone. You're just making it easier for with existing wallets to connect to experience. But we know the future is not with just existing wallet holders. So what Sequence Kit does is if you have an existing wallet, by all means, connect. Um, But if you don't have a wallet, well, you know what? email login, you know what social login is. And what that's doing in the background is automatically creating a sequence wallet for you. Um, and in addition to that, making it so that regardless of what wallet you're using, we want to pr- improve the UX. So embedded item view, embedded NFT checkout, even if you're using a MetaMask. But that's just, again, in my mind, step one, you know, because we don't want to Make it so you can onboard people seamlessly, but then you have to shove them over to blur anytime they want to do secondary trading, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're just kicking the friction can down the road. So by making it so that we can both onboard people seamlessly without them needing to know about their wallet or their key phrases or anything else, um, but also having an in-game or in-app marketplace and everything else, you're smoothing that experience, which also means that you're going to increase retention, you're going to increase, increase engagement, you'll increase monetization. These are keeping people happier in your game, in your experience for longer. Yeah, you, you mentioned a previous example of a game publisher shutting down their secondary marketplace um, and having you know assets now that in Web3, quote unquote, that you can own. Um, how, do you find, how do you find maybe educating those people that are onboarding and believing that, hey, these are their assets, um, but to your point, smoothing over the the transition, maybe they don't understand things like uh, owning their own wallets and whatnot. Uh, maybe it's not truly their assets. Um, I don't. I know that's probably not something that you deal with. Maybe the gaming publishers have to kind of like talk about what they want to build, right? But in terms of security and whatnot, there's there's a lot of understanding that hey, I'm in. I own this NFT when a lot of people don't know that they're just pointing to a, to a URL, right? Uh, versus owning the actual access themselves. So has that come up at all? Is that a big issue at all? Well, I think, you know, we do spend a lot of time working with the developers in, 
both just what new technology rolls out uh, and because it, it can change, you know, what they thought was previously possible. I mean, even in the time that I've been at Sequence, you know, we've launched products that are literally revolutionizing the industry and developers who have tons of experience building games and they kind of know what they want to create are looking at it saying, holy shit, this completely changes what I thought we could do with this title. And that's really exciting because, you know, the next step of that is educating developers so that they can also educate players on why this is cool. And it doesn't have to be education in a very like formulaic or, or structured way of like, here's what it means to own your assets. That should just be baked into the gameplay. Give me the thing that's going to be fun that I can do with the fact that I have secondary trading opportunities or that I have expanded utility that exists outside of the game or maybe interoperability. Um, and, you know, something like secondary trading is something that many gamers already understand, whether it's CSGO, yeah. whether it's Rocket League, whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, you can have something that looks identical to the kind of experience that they have now that the technology lets you do that and that you don't have to send them to OpenSea where they say, well, what is this and why there are a bunch of monkey pictures and things that don't relate to the experience that I'm trying to have. Yeah, I, I was checking out your uh, sequin kit uh, wall connector and played the demo here and I just saw how like smooth it was. It's, you know, throw an email address in. It's, it looks like it generates a, a wallet for you. It has a really uh, like a Web 2 feel, but on the back end, you know, very like web three, which is great. Talk to me a little bit about like just the overall, cause like I've been in crypto for a while and we're all concerned about security and it's like, never give anybody your private keys. Don't, you know, got this list of words. I mean, it's such a hot topic and I love the idea of onboarding people seamlessly and giving them this like web two feel, but how's that go hand in hand with security? Yeah. So when it comes to wallets, like the ones that, that we create in smart contract wallets, um, we want to have that be as secure, if not more secure than kind of the standard for the Web3 space. Um, and a lot of that comes down to um, having a uh, what's considered like a, a two or three multi-sig uh, mm-hmm. wallet set up mm-hmm. where you have your auth key, which would be, let's say, your email or the social login or some other existing player account. Um, and we have to verify that you own that, that you're in control of that. So you, you would get, you know, a code to put in like you would again with any web two account creation. Uh, but then there's also a device or session key. And then there's a sequence guard key, which is essentially like a firewall. Um, and you need two out of three of them to execute a successful signature. Um, and that's, that's how we structure uh, what we call our wallet as a service where it is, completely headless, gasless. It's not an add-on. There's no transaction signing, no pop-ups. Um, really feels like a Web2 experience, but is still a self-custody wallet. So obviously, you don't necessarily want to run around the internet with a wallet that can sign for itself. Um, and so what we do is balance kind of what you would want to have happen in a particular game or experience with also the opportunity to have your sort of backpack and, and your player profile that can transfer with you around around the internet. Um, and so like the Sequence Universal Wallet is still a wallet where signing 
is required because that's sort of the standard that feels most secure uh, when you're engaging with experiences that you haven't otherwise given that level of trust to yet. Nice. Yeah, I came from the domain name industry and privacy security is, is top of mind for big companies. So I imagine big gaming companies have, you know, a, 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 a big thought of, on that as well. Um, it seems like you have a big background in, in gaming and working with these ga- big gaming publishers this last year. I see you working with Planet Mojo. That's pretty big. You know, they're working through Amazon as well. What's been kind of like the the best experience or more, most idealistic use of, you know, Web3 within the uh, the gaming sector that you're excited about? I know Shrapnel is doing some really interesting stuff. Um, is there anything that you're excited about? I think a lot of people are building really cool experiences. Um, you know, to some degree, I'm kind of very happy that a lot of people are just building games. You know, they're building games right. that just look like games yeah. um, because that's kind of what we need. And from there, uh, the fact that these items are on chain opens up a lot of different avenues. And some of the, the developers that we're working with, I think are extremely smart in thinking about um, player segmentation in a relatively naturalistic way. And by that, I mean, you know, in in no game, Web 2 or Web 3, would you necessarily expect 100% of your players to be all about secondary trading or 100% of your players to be about, you know, utility outside of a game or interoperability? And so what they recognize is, well, we first have to really focus on the core mechanics, on the core loop, um, and then think about what are sort of the add-on or adjacent experiences or uh, the new mechanics that we can open up for elder players, you know, a year or two into the game uh, that creates net new play for them. And so that could be, for example, you know, like a collecting meta where items have, you know, a certain uh, value and ranking to them. And so I'm basically playing this kind of like ranked collectible game on top of or adjacent to you know my core game because i have all these items and i can trade them and level up my ranking and things like that and so those are the things that i think are most exciting about how developers are are starting to use these items Um, but from there you know other things that we're working on with developers is you know how does this connect back to the ecosystem of maybe licensed ip that you're working with you know can this become uh something that gets someone access to uh, an in-person event or to mm-hmm. some kind of media streaming or something else that is related to the IP in the world of your game, um, but it exists in a domain that you don't necessarily control. And that's what Web3 is about too, right? Like no one's going to spend the time to go through you know, connecting private uh, servers and things like that. And I think that's something that mm-hmm. people often forget too. It's just like, this is something that solves technical hurdles for developers. It just makes yeah. certain shit easier. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I think we've seen some really interesting experiments in this to date, like um, what Dot Swoosh and, and Fortnite did, for example. Oh, right. It's like, okay, there are sort of these overlapping worlds and one gets you access or uh, certain actions taken here might benefit you in another ecosystem. But if you, you know, went through the process, you're talking about a custodial web three ecosystem. Uh, so it's basically a walled garden and then a purely web two game. 
And there was literally a tweet thread, like the five steps to connect your dot solution for Fortnite accounts. No one wants that, right? It should just be, I, <laughs> I showed up it. with my yeah. backpack and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. people will go through the hoops to some degree, but you yeah. know, that's not something that's going to be replicable. Yeah. Um, you know, once the novelty wears off, I just expect it to work. And right, right. that's what Web3 should be allowing. Is that so? I'm not a gamer. Uh, you know, I love video games. It's fun, but like not like nearly as like developed as like some gamers that are streaming and involved in that world every day. But why? It just seems like we always talk about like the new meta is gaming and gaming NFTs, and it, it just seems like out of all the different sectors that NFTs would work for, I get like art and everything. It just seems like it's so natural with gaming. And there was like this like pushback from like OG gamers with NFTs. And I never fully understood why they didn't want to embrace NFTs because it it felt like it would only enhance the gameplay, be better for developers and just be better for the players overall. Can you just give me an idea why there was like an initial pushback? Do you think it's mostly because of the onboarding or is it deeper than that? I think there's a couple of reasons. So one is definitely just the flavor of the experience that was available at the time that mm-hmm. NFTs really started yeah. to take out. Where one, it wasn't really uh, gaming related, and so you know there might be projects that would drop a collection and say, "Hey, we're going to build a game," and you know it was just very speculative and right. and future looking. Yeah. Um, and I think there was also honestly a fair degree of FOMO, where people felt like, well, I missed out on, you know, becoming an NFT millionaire, therefore, I'm just going to trash it. Mm-hmm, um, right. But I think the, the real reason is that just gamers hate everything. Like, that's just <laughs> what they do. And so, you know, I've been in the space long enough to go back to, you know, some of the earlier days of free to play and microtransactions, where the industry shifted from premium downloads where you spend 60 bucks on a game and you can play it till your heart's content. And that's the beginning and end of it to actually the game is free, but it has all these in-game transactions or there's some mix of of the two and word for word, line by line, this is taking exactly the same sentiment and trajectory that free to play did. Gamers say, this is a scam. This is a cash grab. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Western publishers, don't want to rattle the cage. And so they say, you know what, we're going to sit back and not really do much with this right now. And Asian publishers, for whatever reason, just feel more comfortable with innovation. The audience is more open to new experiences, take the plunge, go all in with their existing IP um, and prove that it works at scale. And then everyone else has to race to catch up. Um, it's just literally the same cycle all over again. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we see that all the time with players, but, you know, I, I think there really is the grand irony this time of uh, being able to offer them something that does solve a lot of concerns and issues that players have had in the past. Or, you know, obviously, look, a, a, a developer could turn off support for an NFT at any time, right? So like sure. owning that asset is nice, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you can have it work in the game in the way that you want it to work. Um, But I I do think that there's, you know, a new paradigm that it's creating between player and developer that's a little bit different than, you know, FIFA Ultimate Team selling you a hundred bucks a month worth of players. And literally the next year you have to start 
absolutely from scratch. Mm -hmm. You know, now there is power in the hands of players where they can say with proof, hey, I have this stuff. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to reward me for having these things? Maybe they don't all transfer the next game, but they grant you some kind of access. Um, And so there there are a lot of new designs and, you know, new ways of thinking about game economies that I think we all agree still have to be kind of figured out in in terms of how it's going to work at scale. Um, But for players, they should feel like, you know, finally, there's a solution that answers a lot of the issues that I've had before. Um, And I'll give you another example. I mean, something that, you know, I think plagues a lot of players, which is uh, unskippable tutorials. You know, if I'm a seasoned, let's say, like shooter, first person shooter player, and I spin up a new game, like, I don't want to sit through a tutorial. <laughs> so wouldn't it be awesome yeah, yeah. if I just come in with my interoperable player account and the game can read all the achievements that I have in there and say, oh, shit, like you're OG. Yeah, that's cool. You can skip the tutorial. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I used to love, love gaming. I don't know what happened to me. I got old and boring. Uh, and I've seen personally gaming evolve. Can you speak on just industry overall? Uh, maybe that could fill in some gaps of, well, I think Web3 is going to fit into all sectors of it. But we know, you know, gaming consoles are heavy. Um, PCs big. Mobile, um, huge, right? Huge, huge, huge. I know friends that play only mobile. And then now we have the onset of, you know, um, AR, right? And AI. Like, where where are we headed? How, which What's like the granddaddy? Is it PCs? Is it consoles? Is it mobile? And uh, maybe where you guys fit best right now? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, when it comes to to gamers, um, you know, they, they want to play on the devices in the environment that they're comfortable with. And, you know, we've seen kind of things that have tried to blur those lines sometimes mm-hmm. fail. So like, maybe a decade ago, everything was about micro consoles. There was this one called the Ouya. And the idea was you can play mobile games, but on your couch, on your TV, (laughs) in your living room, where most gamers say, well, I already have a console. So why would I play mobile games on a device that's even weaker than my mobile phone? It just didn't make sense. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think games should live where uh, it makes the most sense in terms of graphics, in terms of ergonomics, um, and in terms of the, the audience that you're reaching, because those are different across PC, console, and mobile. Obviously, mobile devices are just getting better and better, right. um, you know, huge, particularly outside of like North America and, and some Western markets. And I think we're just going to see, you know, nothing but more focus on those. Mm-hmm. Um and we're cross-platform. I mean, you know, we make sure that there are SDKs for mobile, for Unity, for Unreal, so that you can build your game or your experience wherever you want, where the biggest games live, where the biggest apps live, um, and not be forced in a way that I think a lot of Web3 infrastructure has mm-hmm. into living on a browser forever. Um, I think there are a lot of cool innovations coming in gaming, whether that's user-generated content or mm. AI. Um, I also think that those uh, technologies or, or you know those new paradigms in gaming are probably best uh, commercialized with Web3. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm creating all this content for a game that potentially other people are using, maybe buying from me, that's infrastructure that probably makes sense to run on Web3 for transparency, for payment rails, for everything else. Yeah. Um, if I'm using AI 
to create an you know infinite new world or new assets or whatever provenance becomes super important what's the best way to figure out provenance a transparent public blockchain (laughs) um so i think you know these technologies are going to struggle to really reach their full potential if web3 is not involved yeah i i love what you guys are building from just like a simplicity like again just to reiterate the demo and anybody that's listening to this podcast should definitely check out their website and look at the demo to just see how it looks how easy it is to create an account and i think that's going to go a long way with you know just web3 gaming and onboarding new users overall do you have a like a particular favorite like web3 gaming company or game or nft that's out would love to kind of pick your brain about that yeah i think a lot of people are doing really cool things i mean obviously i'll be biased to a lot of the awesome (laughs) games that we get to work on whether that's planet mojo or mighty bear or uh, sunflower land um there are a lot of games that we're working on that i can't talk about yet but that are doing really cool things mm. um yeah i mean I'm, I'm super excited for shrapnel i'm interested to see what happens with uh dead drop uh and you know sort of this suite of creator led games um and then you know i'm really excited to see what uh, Asian publishers and folks like CCP are planning to do in taking this existing IP that players love, players know. Um, they're incredibly smart developers. They understand game economies uh, and have you know 30 PhD economists working on this this kind of stuff, and they're going to absolutely nail it. And that's what I'm I'm really excited to work on with them. Exciting, yeah. That was along the lines of the same question I had. Well. I'll, I'll take a different direction uh, and I'll go first. One of my favorite games growing up uh, was Final Fantasy, even though it took a majority of my childhood, like in terms of time, it took <laughs> years of my life. Uh, what was like one of your most favorite Web 2 games growing up? Oh, man, I I played. Yeah, time time spent probably a lot in The Sims. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot oh, of Sims, yeah. a lot in Call of Duty, in Battlefield, um, a lot of Red Dead, GTA. Yeah. When GTA first came out, my gosh, that was, uh, that was so fun. I mean, it was just like something I've never even seen before and just spending hours and hours running around that city, stealing cars and motorcycles. I, I I loved it. I'm going to fire that up later today. I think. Yeah, it was a totally fresh experience. And again, I think like with web three and AI and user generated content and, uh, AR and spatial internet, like we're on the cusp of a bunch of new genres of, of new ways of playing. Um, and so that gets me excited. Uh, but, you know, look, even last night I played a perfectly normal, awesome Web 2 game called The Finals that kind of like came out of nowhere that Nexon released and I had no idea about until it was in beta. Great game. Can't wait to see what happens with that. Awesome. Well, I look forward to getting into more games, you know, for work purposes, <laughs> Web3 games. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last question I have is really, you've worked with a lot of uh, gaming publishers and seen a lot of community members. Uh, what's what's 2023 ending look like? What's the goals for 2024? What does success look like to you guys? Um, yeah, wh- I mean, how are you guys moving forward? Yeah, so I think, you know, through the end of this year is um, an absolute insane suite of new products, uh, our builder platform, which is a no code stack of, of everything that we do with sequence. So even a non-technical guy like me can 
make an in-game marketplace in about 60 seconds. Um, So just insanely easy stuff. And then that gets injected into a number of incredible games. And I think 2024 is, you know, really the year where we're going to see just like an onslaught of Mm. really polished, really scalable quality games come out. Um, and beyond that into, you know, things that consumer brands and, and media companies that we're working with uh, are going to do and some of that overlapping with games. And so I think, again, it's just going to be like an interconnected uh, series of experiences that that people have never seen before. Ready Player One, here we come. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. So wh- wh- where, where can people find you? Um, how should they best reach out if they have questions? Yeah, uh, either on LinkedIn, Sam Barberi, uh, Twitter, SAMUSB, um, or shoot me an email at sb at horizon.io. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's been great having you on. Love to have you on because, you know, Web3 weeks are like dog years, right, every week. So uh, I would love to see what developments are coming in about, you know, half a year from now. It's going to be, we're going to have a much different conversation, I'm pretty sure. It's going to be so different. It's going to be crazy. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye.